Let's remain standing as we honor the gospel of Jesus on this second Sunday in Advent. Reading from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together to pray. May words spoken and words heard, words read and words sung, be the vehicle by which the living word penetrates into human hearts. Children, adults, youth, visitors, longtime members, Your spirit is no respecter of age or people or frequency of attendance. Your spirit speaks where it will and transforms people into new life. May new life be born even today in this place through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I must warn you, my sister Marianne may show up for my retirement party and... um, Let's just say she's the loose cannon in our family. There's no, no, uh, no way to predict what she might say. She's a wonderful older sister. She's the oldest. I'm the youngest. We're the only two left. She's a person who has introduced me to many wonderful things o- over the years and uh, has been a great sister. But she's the kind of person who can make an off-the-wall remark or ask a question and just set the whole room on fire in a moment. Uh, and I think of her this morning. As we read the text about John the Baptist, another kind of crazy relative. John's a crazy patriarch of the church. Here in Advent, when people start showing up for church, of all people the lectionary has to bring out to introduce to you, who do we, who do we parade around at this time of year but John the Baptist with his locust breath and his camel's hair, and he probably wouldn't even be let in the door of this church, but here he is speaking to us. is as if to say, here in the church where we try to be respectable, where we try to do things beautifully and with dignity, John the Baptist comes along and says, don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. You see, the prophets and John, who was a prophet, 
These people are oddballs. These are people who are nonconformists. These are people who are ticked off at the direction of humanity, and they don't mind being the people who stand up and say it. John says it in this way, repent, which isn't a religious word. It's a word about life. Turn, turn your life around and be the person that you were called and created to be. For God has a dream for this world. A dream that's not based on extracting things from other people, not based on greed or power or violence, but a world that's based on equality. Can you imagine it? Where power is used to make sure everyone has what they need. Where power is used to bring justice into the world. Where power is used to make the roads straight and the mountains be brought down, and the valleys be lifted up, so that God's dream, not the dream of the wealthy, not the dream of the most powerful, not the dream of those who are in control, but the dream of God might be ushered into the world. I love Luke's version we read today, but I really love uh, Mark's version. I really love Luke's version, the third gospel. Luke adds a little bit to what John has to say. John the Baptist tells those people when they ask, what are we supposed to do? He tells them. And you'll notice it has nothing to do with going to church. He says, if you have two coats, give one away. Same with food. And if you're a tax collector, don't take more than you're supposed to. And if you're a soldier, be content with your wages. In other words, live in harmony. Live in peace. Live as God created this world to be lived. Let there be forgiveness. We all mess up. So let's preach a baptism of forgiveness of sins. Let's let's allow people to start their lives over and be whole. It occurs to me that for 2,000 years the church has held on to this crazy cousin John Because people like John, people like my sister, people like many of you in this church, you keep it real. You keep it about life. The powerful, frankly, would prefer if we keep religion, what we do here, to just be about morality about following the rules, about the status quo, about pie in the sky when you die, so that you'll all be content with your life here now and not really question why are things the way they are now? Because someday when we get to heaven, it'll all be repaired. But Isaiah and John the Baptist and Jesus and churches like Highland have come to realize that the gospel isn't just about some future day, although it includes all of that, but it's about economics. It's about relationships. It's about politics. It's about society, and it's about abundance being shared. Did you like the choral piece that they sang? That just washed over me. Those who seek God's righteousness. We've been sold a bill of goods, We've been told that righteousness just means being right with God, like being a good person, when righteousness really has to do with making the world right, doing the right thing, 
seeing the world as God sees it. So to be righteous is to do justice. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, he didn't mean like stop cussing and go into dances, for goodness sake. He meant like care about the poor, care about those who are being killed, care about those who don't have a voice. What I notice, what many have noticed about Isaiah, about John the Baptist, about a great many people who have a word from the Lord that needs to be heard by the larger body. What you notice is this. They come from the wilderness. That is, the margins of society. They're not in Jerusalem where the seat of power is. They're out somewhere. They're, they're, they're people who have a, a vantage point of stepping back from the situation and be able to look at it more objectively and see where the disparity is. See where the privilege is, allow, is, is, is forcing people without privilege to live in poverty. So John the Baptist comes speaking this alternate vision from the margins of society, and it's a vision that's not built on fear or shame or guilt. These are the things that agitate people, that make them feel defensive and irritable and hopeless, that make them cause them to want a gun to kill someone. That's not our message. Judgment, fear, shame are not our message. We're not here to divide. We've been placed here to unite, to come together, to come together as people and to speak to the halls of power, always in love, but with the full force of God's love to say, let people go. Let people live. Let people have wholeness and life and possibilities. That's what the good news of the gospel is. And it came and it always comes from the margins. From those who are out in the wilderness. From those who see how what the people in power do affects them and affects everything. They're more conscious of how interconnected we all really are. person who helped me see a great deal of how we are all one and interconnected is a man who attended this church for many, many years. His name was Bill Rice. Who remembers Bill Rice in the room? Yeah, a great number of you do. Mr. Rice, as he was called, was a man of few words. You'd see him around the church, but you wouldn't get much out of him, even if you tried to, to speak to him. He struggled with paranoia and schizophrenia. He'd spent many years as a homeless person, but kind of got adopted by Highland, who got him some resources, some some assistance. Our church secretary served as his payee, and he had a little room in old Louisville. But every day, he walked to Highland Baptist Church. Who remembers how Mr. Rice walked? That locomotive walk? 
he'd be walking down Broadway, and it was so distinctive that our kids, when they would be going to school every morning at Colbridge Taylor, had a little game. It was like, where's Waldo? Only it was called, where's Mr. Rice? And the first one to spot Mr. Rice walking down Broadway you know, every morning to Highland Baptist Church won the game. One day he asked me to take him to Target to get some socks. I said, sure. We got in my car that day, and I tried to make conversation with him. He has no family. I said, well, Bill, it's almost Christmas. Um, are you, you going to go to your friend's house this year? Yes. Let's see now. Do they? It seems like you told me that they live in Indiana. Yes. What are their names again? He looked over at me and said, Joe, you have your secrets and I'll have mine. (laughs) Okay. When he was paranoid, he wouldn't use public restrooms. He'd go to the bathroom in his pants and he just would smell awful. He, He... We'd have to say to him on occasion, Mr. Rice, it's time to take a bath and wash your clothes. I don't remember how many years ago it was that he came in, and he was obviously in a very paranoid state. He smelled, I just can't describe how bad he smelled. Do you remember when uh, Brody uh, rolled in the dead armadillo and he came and you smelled him, Terry? It was worse than that. It was worse than that. He smelled so bad. But he had to go to the hospital. So I said, I'll take him. And bless her heart, Jerry, the custodian, lined my seat with plastic so that nothing permanent would stay on the seat. And it was freezing cold. And I drove from here to the university hospital with my head hanging out the window as I drove the car because it was just so bad. We got him down there, and he got, got him situated. And then they said, you can, you can go back and see him. He was unconscious at that time. And when I walked into the room, he was still on a gurney. And he had uh, IVs in both arms and apparently had been fighting them a little bit. So they had his arms strapped out. And all of his clothes were off. You could see his you know, sinewy body and all bruised and scarred. And they had a little cloth across his middle. His feet were crossed. And they had uh, some monitors, different monitors around his head. It almost created like a little crown around his head. And the way he was lying there with his feet crossed and the towel across his body. and He was Christ. I don't mean he looked like Christ on the cross. He was Christ on the cross. few weeks ago we read the text that said where Jesus said if you feed or visit or care for one of the least of these you're doing it to me and I saw Christ himself for 21 years we've been putting these crosses on the lawn Many of the names that we read this morning are people from the margins. Not all of them, but many are poor, 
and black and hopeless and outcast and desperate. And some of them may have even been crazy. They were killed and we grieve that. We also grieve the hundred and some people who in this city found a gun and became a killer and for their families as well. When we first started this little visual witness, we were met with some objections. It was my first year as pastor here. And some of the longtime members said, well, we just think that looks tacky. To have crosses on the front lawn? I mean, they might confuse us with those abortion people. And what about the negativity of this message? I mean, this is a season of joy, Pastor. Happiness. This sort of takes away our joy at Christmas. I didn't read for them. I, this was one moment when I was uh, used some discretion. I didn't read them the story of the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew, uh, which is also part of the Christmas story. But I did remind them that this is why Jesus came into the world. To stand with those on the margins and expose to the world how far we are from God's dream. I'm not trying to bash our country or our culture. I'm part of it too. But we're way off of God's dream. We're way far from God's dream. The good news of the gospel is about peace, where everyone has enough and we can all live together. Simple. Simple peace. Come quickly, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the way you have been stirring in this church. How for decades we've been giving attention to and witness to this violation of your dream. As we complete the crosses on our lawn this morning, may we do so with both hearts that are heavy as well as hearts that are filled with hope that you're not done, that something is happening in the world, that as women are finding their voices and people of color are finding their voices, let the church find its voice and be the clarion call to the gospel now and always. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please. Let's come.